Police-involved shootings of black citizens and the responses to those shootings have exposed racial fault lines in America like we haven't seen in at least 25 years. And they've showed some blind spots for our political movements, too. Ali Akbar will talk about it on this crummy little podcast. Now, normally the topics I cover on this podcast are things that are interesting to me, and, and usually that means something a little quirky or a little silly. Yeah. But today, I wanted to talk about something a little bit more serious, and I'm, I'm happy to be joined uh, by the conservative writer, activist, consultant, Ali Akbar. Uh, Ali, welcome to this crummy little podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here, too, um, because it's been a, a rough summer. You know, another round of police shootings has set off another summer of rallies and and activism around the Black Lives Matter movement. Ali, what you've done, and anybody who's followed you on Twitter or uh, reads your stuff on Medium or reads any of the places that you write, knows that you bring kind of an, uh, an interesting passion to this, but also a perspective that not a whole lot of people do, because as people are are pontificating and, and talking about it, um, you're actually on the ground. You're in Louisiana, first of all, so you're, yeah. you, you know, you have the kind of the front row seat for the, the Alton Sterling shooting in Baton Rouge, uh, but you've also been at the rallies. You've also been there watching as people have interacted, listening to what people have said, and I don't think there are a whole lot of people who, I mean, you've got an interesting spot on the Venn diagram. There's not a whole lot of conservative... <laughs> writers who who understand this world so from your perspective you know what the hell's going on well there's a lot going on i think uh i think the first place i start with uh i start uh from is i recognize that i have certain worldviews and uh, uh submit myself to certain ideologies uh but that doesn't make them uh truth you know uh and it also um uh, while I may think it, uh, it is truthful, I owe it to um, people following me, to friends, and even uh, uh, opposing views to uh, witness the other side, to hear the other side uh, before um, I necessarily dismiss it. Because a lot of times, I mean, when I, I grew up with two younger brothers – when we're fighting, sometimes what we had to do was take a step back and find out if we were even fighting about the same thing. <laughs> you know, usually it turns into a shouting match, uh, and, 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 you know, somebody wanted to watch one channel and another person wanted to watch another channel. But, hey, it turned out, you know, one of, the, one of my brothers hadn't watched TV in, in, in two days, so it really was his turn. Um, and so, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative. I'm now a former member of the Republican Party. Uh, I'm a half black, half Arab male. Um, and uh, these, the racial division in our country, uh, it, it's been there. I mean, it's always been there. All we did was actually cover it up. So I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more or less. I think that it's just more on the surface. It's more visible. And, uh, you know, watching each of these shootings has been absolutely heartbreaking uh, watching the what I call the two sides uh, form, you know, this this pro police anti due process side, uh, and then this pro Afrocentric uh, black supremacist 
uh, uh, type uh, uh, faction it form. And I try to remind my friends and people like you, Jim, that that uh, that's really only maybe 10 percent of the population. The, the, the majority is apathetic, but there's still a broader number of uh, number of people who care, who see uh, legitimate arguments in both sides and uh, dismiss both sides as as uh, hyper partisan, for lack of a better word. So here in Baton Rouge, I've watched the town absolutely rip apart. Um, it's it's been sad to watch. It's and, and, and I don't say rip apart along racial divisions here. There is an angst. There are black people. Their economic conditions improved and want to stop being racially profiled, uh, 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 whether they are a suspect or not a suspect, whether they have committed a crime or not committed a crime. Uh, and as a conservative, someone who's committed to the Bill of Rights, uh, somebody who believes that big government is bad, that a police state is bad, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic you know, to, that, to that argument. Uh, and, and someone who's been racially profiled myself. Uh, and then there, there are police who uh, are, are lowly paid here. Their lives are clearly in danger. Uh, you know, the first day I was at convention on Sunday, we arrived in Cleveland after leaving Baton Rouge. And I had two weeks of, of uh, uh, attending the memorials, the, the protests, um, bailing, uh, trying to get journalists out of jail. I mean, I, I mean, I was really trying to push as much information out while doing as much good as I could. Uh, and, uh, you know, then I come to find out that three, three officers were, were, were killed and three officers were injured. It, it absolutely broke my heart. But, uh, uh, what's going on in America has got to be solved. It's got to be solved right now. We are the generation that is, uh, that, that has been called upon to fi uh, fix this racial gap, as I call it. And, uh, we all, we all black and white, middle class and not podcaster, listener, you know, and the other, we all owe it to our country and to ourselves and our neighbors to uh, have this tough conversation about prejudices, uh, what, what, uh, which ones should be legislated out and, and what we could do to be more empathetic, even outside of the laws and the rules and, you know, that mumbo jumbo. When a police shooting happens or when a counter shooting, if you want to call it that, happens where, you know, like in, in, in Dallas or, or in Cleveland, where you have a you know, kind of an initial thought of, well, what can we do to to stop it? You know, what law could we pass? But it's it seems like it kind of goes beyond that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, uh, uh, you know, it's it's more than the media has, has has tried using this phrase again and again. And that's a, when you have a conversation on race, I think we got to start doing stuff. I mean, you know, if, if if the wait for the facts crowd, which I consider myself a person who tries to wait for the facts, uh, but the wait for the facts crowd again is that is that pro cop, pro police state, pro militarization, uh, anti conservative, anti due process. Um, you know, black people need to pull up their pants. Crowd that crowd uh, doesn't want to find out what has that black young man or black young female out there on the street protesting in the heat. What has them out there? Because they probably didn't know the person who was shot. And so one thing I did as somebody who uh, is articulate, you know, and, and some people call that, quote, talking white, as somebody who, you know, wears business attire to work uh, in my office. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I knew that I couldn't just come out there and, and ask them 
questions and pepper them with questions. Uh, you know, I'm not a reporter. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I didn't want to detach myself away from the situation. So what I did is me and my intern went out and we bought 12 uh, big old, you know, 35 uh, cases of water and talked to the store owner, made sure it was okay to give out free water, you know, let people know, hey, I love you and, you know, stay cool. And, and uh, you know, then people started asking me their questions. And, and I, I, I'm not saying I'm the example of what to do, but all I knew was this is what I can do. What I can do is I can buy some water. I can take some time off of work. I can hear these people. And then it became a moral obligation. I was showing up twice, uh, twice a day, every day, because I wanted people to see a familiar face. Because if we're going to have a policy discussion about uh, criminal justice reform, economic empowerment zones, uh, mandatory minimums, policing reforms, uh, training, uh, which even Donald Trump says that uh, uh, police training in this country isn't the best, <laughs> uh, uh, we, need to, we need to first show up. We need to first be there. We need to fir first be a part of that community before dictating to it. And we have to recognize that the poorer parts, the blacker parts of our urban cities are entirely different communities. Uh, and uh, that's tough. So I think, it's, I think it is more than yelling at the TV or tweeting, uh, you know, which I'd love to do, um, especially with the latter. But it's, it's showing up. It's giving water. It's... Uh, it's uh, Tim Scott, uh, Senator Tim Scott and uh, Senator uh, Lankford uh, uh, said that, you know, uh, families, white and black families ought to go to lunch uh, or dinner together. And I entirely agree with that. I mean, the, the science says that, uh, you know, for example, people who know or have a family member who's gay are more apt to, uh, you know, either be less homophobic or support same sex marriage. And, you know, that's a policy decision for every individual to make. Uh, but the same science says uh, for folks who are uh, who have a black friend or blacks who have a white friend, they're more uh, racially aware and, and, and sensitive to other people's needs. Uh, so uh, 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 it's, uh, you know, it's incumbent upon all of, us, all of us to kind of do something, not just not just say something. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, and you you were very critical of the NRA right after uh, the Philando Castile shooting in, uh, in, in St. Paul, Minnesota for not releasing a statement about this for a little while afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think what it, it – as I remember reading your, your statements, but I remember thinking to myself as you were doing this – you know, if I was someone who worked at the NRA, I've never, I never have. But if I was someone who worked at the NRA, I wondered if this would register on my radar. And I can't say that it would yeah. necessarily. And I think it, it, uh, you know, the, the the RNC didn't put out a statement or doesn't put out statements right after a shooting. Um, and part of it is, you know, for to, you know to oversimplify a little bit that. A lot of center-right organizations don't have a lot of black friends. Right, right. Yeah, during the 1980s, there was uh, uh, a lot of uh, corporate consolidation inside of our country, uh, including with our media. Uh, there was actually there was a there was a study done. I forgot what corporation did it, uh, but several corporations have done it. The ones that pop out in my mind are Bank of America 
and McDonald's. And what they found is the more uh, the more they diversified their boardrooms by including women or blacks or Latinos, uh, <clears throat> the more opinions that they had that made it to market. And so what's happening is, and this isn't this is what I want to tell people is it's you know, and I'm just I'm just going to speak very very frankly. But whites happen to be uh, uh, the majority in this country, or plurality. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the statistics are right now. But uh, that is where the power is concentrated. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about wealth, uh, boardrooms, uh, people passing legislation, you know, there's no doubt in, in anyone's mind that, uh, you know, if we were dividing everyone up along ethnicities or pigment, you know, whites uh, have the power. Not having a black person in the room only means that you're getting fewer perspectives, perspectives you're allowed to dismiss, perspectives that you can call emotional and not logical, perspectives that may or may not um, make the final product. But, uh, you know, if we believe in competition, if we believe in the marketplace of ideas, if we believe in, in a free market, then – you know, as a businessman, as a legislator, as a leader, as a decider, I want as many of those opinions coming into my head as possible, and I'm going to use my experience and my knowledge and, uh, and my core values or my core mission to determine uh, what that is. And so we've seen, you know, corporations, it's not just because we live in the pseudo-capitalist society uh, that America is doing well and that our products do well and that uh Fortune 500 companies are largely stable. It's because they've diversified their boardrooms and uh, the marketplace, uh, the consumer is uh, is is different than it was in 1960, and it's just a fact. And, and so, what is happening is conservative organizations, and as someone who has been to the DNC and the RNC, I've been to the I've been to the RNC three times in a row, uh, and I've been to the DNC twice in a row. Uh, when you're standing on the floor which I've done, you begin to see how the press can write in a largely – in a Tea Party largely white audience or you know, this, senator, this GOP senator spoke to a largely older white crowd. I always thought, well, that was unnecessary, but if you compare it to the Democrats, it's full of color. I mean it, it just is, and I don't, know, I don't know how else to describe it because – the white middle class person who is going to work with largely white people, going to church with largely white people, uh, uh, going to sleep with their largely white family, it doesn't occur to them that that's not what the country looks like. That's not what interactions are for our, our, our media moguls. That's not what it is for our media. Uh, that's not what it is for uh, black people of uh, of of any socioeconomic uh, uh, bracket, uh, that's not the interaction that police have. So what, what happens is you have a I'm, – I'm just going to speak very frankly again – that you have a tone-deaf uh, audience where that's, that's a majority of the plurality of our society, and that's it's, – it's a schism. And uh, that's why I think it's so good that the senators – uh, Scott and Lankford uh, encourage white and black families to start having dinner together because you, what you start learning is how little you know about everyone else's day-to-day -day experiences because they're experiencing them. They don't have time, like me, to tweet about them you know, or to write about them. And, um, and that goes for both sides of the fence. I think that young black people who are following these 
wayward Black Lives Matter leaders need to understand that there's not a single cop in this country who goes on the beat and wants to go kill him a blackie. I mean, that's just that's just not happening. No one wants their life upended uh, 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 like that. And most people aren't racist. Some people might suffer from a prejudice that they're aware of or not aware of. And that's going to require maturity on the victim's end. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know what? Black people, we've always risen to the occasion. So why not do it again? Uh, so, I, you know, I'm in favor of more perspectives. I'm in favor, you know, uh, Andrew Breitbart and Dana Lash love to say more voices, not less. And that's how you build a majority. And if we're going to have a republic, if we're going to love each other like neighbors, then, uh, then I want more voices, not less. I don't think that any of these protests should end. I think that there are real policy solutions uh, that need to be achieved before they do. I do obviously think that they shouldn't be violent. They shouldn't be calling cops pigs and stuff like that. But uh, but we need to understand that that many of us, most of us, most blacks and most whites are are, are around this homogeneous pool in their social and work life. And in order to understand the other perspective, you're going to have to read it and understand a, a person's truth or you're going to have to experience it with that person. And, uh, you know, I'll lastly say. On the NRA thing, it, it, it didn't bring me pleasure. The NRA is a great civil rights organization standing up for our Second Amendment. Um, uh, but I think it was 12 hours after I put them on blast that, uh, that they issued a statement. And I have several folks on the NRA board that are friends, several folks who work with the NRA that are friends. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it was me. I, I think that, you know, um, I think that maybe somebody, you know, thought, you know, what could possibly justify an officer shooting inside of a car with a kid and a woman. I mean, there, it, it, the wait and see crowd could not hold the NRA back eventually. Thank goodness, because I mean that was a that's that and I you know I haven't updated myself on the case, but you saw pure racism, pure racism from the the, the Twitter crowd that said he wasn't a concealed carry uh, permit holder. I mean that was that was absolutely untrue. Then uh, he was a suspect in a robbery. That was absolutely untrue. Well, he looked like one. Well, then that turns to what libertarians have been talking about for decades, and that's like, well, if our laws are affecting a community disproportionately in a bad way, in a harmful way, in a way that doesn't value their due process rights, we need to change the law. And I, it never occurred to me that the libertarians may be right until this year. And that is that is that if you let a cop say, and, and you know, again, I love our officers, but if you let an individual in this country say, I feared for my life, this person looked like another person, that is only going to kill more black people. That's it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the policy outcome, and policies should serve a people. So, it, you know, we're not allowed to have this philosophical, you know, chin-in-the-air approach to policy that takes away people's lives. We're just not allowed that. That's not what government or politics is about. That's a, that's a child's understanding of, uh, of, of everything, and it's certainly not conservative. You mentioned the wait-and-see crowd, and, that's, uh, and I, I know what you're, you mean, that there were, you're, you're absolutely 100% right. There was so much wrong information that was being used to... For, yeah, to justify what was essentially a preconceived notion that there there were people who wanted to believe that 
uh, that Philando Castile was up to no good and therefore used whatever scrap of half-truth they could find on an internet you know, meme to, to justify that. But on the other hand, you do have Ferguson, um, but for most people who are who are who don't have the perspective, they'll see Ferguson, Missouri. They'll see um, they'll see a narrative that was pushed that was that was not wasn't necessarily based in fact. There were a lot of people on on both sides who were saying, you know, whether or not Michael Brown had his hands up, in large part, decided uh, depended on what you wanted to believe when you heard about the story. You know, so how do you how do you balance the need to to not spread those half truths because they're dangerous on either side, right? If, yeah. I mean, whether you, you know, either way, you're you're kind of clouding the waters. It's tough to get to the bottom of what is a racial incident, what's not a racial incident. How do you how do you balance that? So a lot of things, and I'm glad you you you, you asked this because here's where I get to express some of my vulnerabilities. Um, it started with Trayvon Martin, but you're right in that it didn't get organized until uh, Ferguson. And um, in both cases, and I've, I've, I've tried to be as open about this as possible, uh, but it's still a point of, I don't want to say shame for me, uh, but it is shame. And, and I shouldn't feel it, but I'll, I'll explain that. Um, uh, when, when the Trayvon Martin-George Zimmerman situation happened, I took Trayvon's side. Uh, when the Mike Brown and I don't know the officer's name uh, 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 situation happened in Ferguson – I took Mike Brown's side. I took their side, one, because what I was doing is I was projecting my own experience onto these young men. I was listening to facts, and I was taking an absolutist route saying, well, if this is so far this way, the inverse cannot be true. And uh, what happens is I was, I was wrong in both cases. Uh, in both cases, had I been the officer, George Zimmerman, I would have killed Trayvon Martin or uh, uh, Mike Brown. Uh, I, I, uh, I think that the wait and see absolutist crowd finds joy in that, and there should be no joy in that. I think that also what I warned very early, once I switched from Trayvon Martin's side to what I call the true side, um, I got out of the sides. I wasn't on George Zimmerman's side. That guy was, uh, 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 I don't have enough bad adjectives for him. I'll just leave it there. Um, and, and I've we'll just, been vindicated. We'll just call him human garbage and move on. Yeah, human garbage. And, I, and I've been vindicated. I mean, before, before, uh, before breaking up with his girlfriend, before stalking her, before harassing her, allegedly, 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 before, um, before selling the gun that killed Trayvon Martin, before his rando trips, before his uh, inter uh, uh, poor interactions with police, I said that this is a bad dude, that my gut uh, was, was saying that, but also the facts were saying that. My mother served on, uh, uh, gosh, I, I forgot what they call it, but it's the community watch uh, when we lived in apartments when I was uh, 14. And... Um, uh, you know, there were certain rules and none of those rules involved chasing, uh, Trayvon Martin wasn't a suspect. Trayvon Martin was a boy. So chasing, uh, 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 uh a boy who was taller and bigger than uh, George Zimmerman, but chasing a boy while being armed as the citizen watch person and 
and and not taking police heeding police advice to stop the pursuit. All three of those are red flags for anybody who has had any involvement with our our law enforcement or uh, our citizen watch teams. You know that are throughout the country that are largely governed in partnerships with county or here in Louisiana parish uh, police departments. So so what I wrote, I have a piece on Medium called uh, "Tough Truths Are Tough." And and I admonish President Obama, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin because they were all bad people during that situation. And what happens when two idiots collide in a, in a situation that's going to be deadly, one of the idiots is going to die. And the more you find out about Trayvon Martin, how he got to that point, the worse it is. But the wait and see crowd says, well, that justified his killing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it does tell a story of how he got there. And how we can avoid getting there again. So, so, so I say all that to say I've actually been wrong. And that's where we first need to start, Jim. We first need to say it's okay to be wrong. Uh, you know, some, somewhere on the internet, there was this notion created in the bowels of some social media crap comment thread where somebody for the first time used the phrase, Somebody wrote out a fact and then someone responded, uh, well, are you surprised? That is my biggest pet peeve on the Internet is when someone says, are you surprised? I have no idea what surprise has to do with citing a fact. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I get this all the time whenever I post something that's alarming, you know, like Obama's violating the Constitution. And some 60-year-old writes, are you surprised? And I'm like, what does it have to do with anything? But what it led to, Jim, is an internet culture that said you have to be right about everything. You know, you have to act omniscient about everything. You have to you have to forecast and predict everything. And this has been going on since way before Nate Silver. So I think that first we all got to say it's okay to be wrong, okay? Uh, and and you certainly don't want to do character assassination uh, on people. But there is a court of public opinion, whether we like it or not. That, that wasn't invented with the Internet, and that wasn't invented with America. The mob has existed since the dawn of time, and uh, since the dawn of man, at least. And uh, we are allowed to take speculative opinions on whatever we choose to. What we ought to do is be responsible for it and, uh, and, and not draw conclusions but we can draw facts. So what I like to do during these situations is I tweet out facts. I tweet out how I feel. I tweet out that there is uh, five children here in Baton Rouge that no longer have a father. Those are not facts that you need to wait and see. And if, if you're like me and you're a Christian, Jesus died on a cross next to two uh, people who have violated the law. And, uh, uh, those people still got a shot at redemption and still deserved God's love. So the idea that Mike Brown or Trayvon Martin or Alton Sterling, Philandra Castile, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, uh, Paul O'Neill, uh, 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 or any of these officers don't deserve our mourning, our love, uh, is, is very inhumane. I mean, it really robs us of our humanity. And I don't think that conservatism uh can 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 last if you rob an intellectual thought of 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 
some form of serving the people or some form of empathy or some form of love. And I'll tell you what, it comes hard to me. Obedience and, and, and legalism come very easy to me. Uh, and, and grace and love come very, very hard uh, uh, for me. So, so I think it's okay to be wrong. I have been wrong. I have taken the black side, if you will, uh, because I am black. And it's okay sometimes to take the cop side and say, oops, I was wrong. This cop acted stupidly. And what I have to recognize is Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown have erected an element in this country that has made black men want to do, some black men want to do stupid things in the name of this pseudo-civil rights movement. On the other side, the police absolutists, uh, uh, th that side leads to cops getting killed. Okay? We saw that with Dallas and Baton Rouge. It also leads to uh, uh, besmirching the reputation of good officers. Notice that these officers who are usually in these altercations have only been on the force for months to a couple of years. There's a reason. It's okay for us to draw a commonality and say that we have poor training, that we have officers who think that brandishing a weapon um, makes them God. And that's not, that is not the role of police in America. You know, send that to the Middle East. Send that to communist China. That has no place in a country that believes in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what I think is that what I call the wait and see crowd, which you should wait and see before drawing a conclusion. You shouldn't wait and see before recognizing facts. That is stupid. That is silly. That is anti-intellectual. That is anti-conservative. Um, it, is, it, is, it is foolhardy and it is mean-spirited. And what's funny, not funny, what's ironic is of all of the things that I just said it is, it's the mean-spiritedness that motivates Black Lives Matter and the Marxists and the new Black Panther Party and the other stuff. The facts, the intellectualism, the robbing us ourselves of our own humanity, that doesn't matter. But when you are mean to somebody else, when you are unempathetic to somebody else, you give them a martyr's complex, the per uh, persecution complex. And anybody who reads anything about war strategy, you do not want to give the other side, especially when it's not a legitimate side, uh, 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 a boost in their morale. You do not want to give them a reason to give it all to attack you, or like I said, Dallas will happen, okay? Dallas isn't a Black Lives Matter event, but it happened because of the climate we're in and the fault of all of us uh, in the country. And I said on the night of Dallas, this would not be the first. The media hyper, uh, uh, hyper uh, I, 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 I don't want to say glorification, even though it feels right, I want to say hyper-focus on what happened in Dallas spurred another uh, 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 man, a veteran, a black veteran out of Missouri, to do the same thing here in Baton Rouge and kill officers. And so what you have is these copycats. It's the same thing with these school shootings and these movie theater shootings. The media focuses so much on it that it puts the idea in someone's head like, well, I was already going to do something bad. This seems like a good method. And if, if, if people don't understand that the wait-and-see absolutist crowd is, is pushing this stuff as much, if not more, than the Black Lives Matter crowd, then, you know, talk to me once we have 100 officers dead. 
and you can say, Ali, you know, you're right, you needed to fix this problem where it stood, instead of going on social media and trying to character assassinate a, a black person who is dead uh, in an attempt to save a uh, white or black cop who is alive. I mean, that's just, that's just stupid. And it, it, it serves us no, it serves us no role uh, going forward. Moving forward, do you see it, like, is it going to get worse before it gets better? Or is it, or, or do you think maybe we're going to turn a corner somehow? It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, there's been renewed calls to get back in the streets here in Baton Rouge. Uh, so, um, you know, I, you know, if the local climate reaches a point to where the national folks and the local protesters are nonviolent, um, they're, you know, what I like to say is here in the South, we have great race relations. It, you know, it might be segregated, uh, but it's self-segregated. And really, honestly, so is the rest of the country. Uh, but there is a, a certain level of respect and um, recognition of coming where you're coming from. Uh, and uh, so the local protesters are fine here. It's the outside agitators mixed with <clears throat> uh, the lure of uh, being on cable news. And, and that's an honest human motivation to want to give your cause more attention. And if you have to violate the law by standing in the middle of a highway, you can see why they do it. It's stupid. It's, 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 it's just stupid. It's counterproductive. It's, it's a lot of things awful, but you can see where they're coming from and we can either steer that energy or we can keep letting us bump it in the face. So I, uh, you know, I, you know, here I am engaging in, in, in what I'm bemoaning. But if I were to forecast, I would say um, more black men are going to die. Uh, some are going to be unarmed. Some are going to be armed. Uh, situations are going to get complicated. We're going to watch more officers be lured to their death um, uh, with uh, fake 911 calls and stuff like that. Um, and you're going to watch Black Lives Matter take advantage of every one of these uh, situations. And to be clear, uh, uh, racial, systematic racial uh, racism and discrimination exist in this country, uh, period. Uh, I am treated, uh, if you take a peer my age, my size, my education level, uh, uh, my life experience, if you take a white peer of mine, they will have uh, more work, more experience, more, more, uh, more wealth than I do. Uh, and I am, I am, I am the exception to many, many rules. Uh, but my white counterpart does better than I do. Uh, what we have to do is figure out how much of that requires legislative action and how much of that is a cultural, uh, uh, is a cultural thing. And once we're honest, you know, I've told people I've dined with racists. Once we're honest with each other and we recognize that every person in this country, good and bad, you know, whatever that means, uh, uh, deserves to say if we were to have a republic, if we are to believe in federalism, if we are to believe in, you know, one person, one vote, then our country starts looking like something that all of us are going to say, well, I 70-30 like this, you know? And I think that that's where we need to get. We need to get to a point where we tolerate the stuff we don't like, and we work together on the stuff that we do like, and we, we have a lot more in common than we don't. But it's it's going to get worse. Um, I'm going to try to provide as much of an alternative perspective to the Black Lives Matter leadership as possible. 
But those protesters out there, they are hungry for for change. They are they are tired of being pulled over for a, a stupid reason and it escalating faster than it would um, uh, a, a white person. Uh, white friends of, of 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 black men, you know, like my white friends, are tired of being in the car with me when I am pulled over for no reason, uh, or tired of watching me be treated differently than they would be treated. Uh, in a grocery store. I make more money than most of my friends. Uh, when I walk into um, some gas stations, I'm still followed. Uh, and that's not right. And that's not fair. And that leads to tension on my part. That leads to tension on, on everyone, uh, everyone else's part. And that leads to an increase in the reported crimes. Uh, so, which leads to an increase in, in policing. I mean, it, this, this whole thing is systemic. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, but it's incumbent upon all of us to have that conversation. I'm white. I'm coming from this perspective. I'm black. I'm coming from this perspective. Recognizing, hearing the perspective, and then moving on with what we can do culturally, individually, what we can do culturally as a community, and then what we should do legislatively as a country. And I, I think that that's the path forward. And I think that there's a seat at the table for everyone. And it's going to suck. It's going to be loud. It's going to be rowdy. But the racist, the white racist, black racist, the BLM, the media, our deciders, uh, black middle class, white middle class, everyone needs a seat at the table if we are going to get past this. And um, I think we can get past that. I really do. Racism will always exist so long as there are humans. But we can get past the tension that we're at right now. We just got to be frank with each other. And, uh, and unfortunately, the rawness of the video camera and Facebook Live and Periscope and tweets and Twitter and all of that is bringing it to surface, and we're not prepared for it. Uh, but I'm going to be a part of the solution. And Jim, I think you're going to be a part of the solution. And I hope that everyone listening to this podcast is going to be a part of the solution. Uh, we're going to need more people know and listen to the podcast. We'll see. Um, you, can, you can follow Ali Akbar on Twitter, at Ali, and the same on Medium, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, and and uh, and various other places, obviously, but uh, but those are some of the rare corners of the internet where you will get some actual enlightening and and uh, perspective shifting information uh, as as issues unfold. Ali, thank you very much for for joining this crummy little podcast. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this crummy little podcast. If you want to hear more, check out www.crummylittlepodcast.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks again.